welcome to the Biocom podcast. I'm Jack Omer Jackman, Biocom Research Associate and Deputy Editor of Fathom. Join us in a week in which Prime Minister-designate Benjamin Netanyahu continues to make progress with his prospective coalition partners in a bid to form a government following the elections of November the 1st. Reaction to the results of those elections, to their implications, continues to reverberate across Israel, indeed across the world. While we continue to await the precise formation of the next government, what is clear is that the elections represented a remarkable success for Israel's far-right political parties. How did this happen? From where did the far-right draw its support? And what does this support tell us about the current temperature of Israeli politics, of Israel itself? To discuss these questions and more, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Kalev Bendor. Kalev is Biocom's Senior Research Associate and the Deputy Editor of Fathom, in which his most recent article, Politically Homeless, Yamina Voters Tell Their Story, appeared. Kalev, thank you for joining me. Jack, it's perhaps, a pleasure to be with you. Perhaps you can start by telling our listeners about the genesis of this article. What prompted you to look at the election results through this particular lens? You chose to look at them in a, a rather different way than most analysts. So I think like, like many Israelis, I was uh, in some ways surprised, um, actually in some ways not surprised, but in many ways shocked by the number of votes that the Religious Zionist Party, so that's the party that's, that's uh, led by Bitsala Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir, received in our most recent November 2022 elections. They got almost, got almost half a million votes, significantly more than they'd received only 18 months earlier. And I think a lot of people were wondering just how, what went about, what, what, what caused this? I'd actually looked um, maybe a month and a half ago about the rise of Itamar Ben-Gvir, trying to, trying to work out what has made him increasingly popular. But I think many Israelis were, were, were trying to think about what led to these results. And there's many disadvantages to having so many elections in such a short space of time. One of the, one of the advantages is data-wise, you can go into the Central Election Committee website and you can see how different communities vote each time. And it's quite easy then to compare how people voted 18 months ago to how they voted now. And the main difference between this election and last election was the absence of, of Yamina, Naftali Bennett and Ayala Shaked's party, the, the right party territorially hawkish, um, pretty, um, pretty supportive of judicial reform as well, but ultimately moving into the anti-Netanyahu bloc. And they disappeared, they weren't there. And so what I wanted to try and do to, to try and see what led to the rise of religious Zionism, which is also it's a right-wing territorially hawkish party, but that is very much in the pro-Netanyahu camp. And I, wanted, I, I kind of wanted to see what happened to these 275,000 Yamina voters. Where did they go? What did they do? Uh, and, and, and the other thing that I wanted to check, because we often hear a refrain that Bennett cheated his voters, that he took voters from the right, and he gave them to the left. In some ways, I wanted to speak to Yamina. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a small sample size, but I wanted to speak to Yamina voters to find out what did they think? about the Bennett-Lapid government. Was it treacherous, like Netanyahu and Smotrich uh, claimed? Were they actually happy with it? Did they see it as this attempt at kind of mamlachtiyot, at statesmanly conduct? 
so, so in some ways, that, that was what set me on the path to both looking at, at the data for different communities and trying to find myself as many Yamina voters as I could. Thank you, Kalev. That's fascinating. Um, I, mean, I think we can explore some of the some of the wider issues, but since you mentioned some of the data, perhaps perhaps we could start with some of that. And it makes it, it clear that many of those Yamina voters did indeed move over to to voting for religious Zionism. You find uh, in Dolev, for example, that in March 2021, uh, the religious Zionism uh, list received 58% of the vote, Yamina 26. Uh, in November 2022, when Yamina no longer exists, religion, religious Zionism share of the vote moves up to 75%. Uh, in Efrat, 43% um, voted Yamina in March 2021, and a relatively small 25% religious Zionism. In November, by the time Yamina has left, religious Zionism now receives 48% of the vote. And in Neve Daniel, in March 2021, 30% voted religious Zionism, 45% Yamina. And by the time of November 2022, 50% are voting religious Zionism. So those sort of numbers really do speak to your point. So I, th I think the data is is fascinating, and I think we we can tell that you know the, the fifty five thousand ish people who ended up voting for Ayelet Shaked's party almost certainly were were former Yamina voters, but a large large chunk of the others ended up voting for for religious Zionism. And and one of my favourite quotes is from someone who said that many people never believed they would end up voting for a party with Itamar Ben Gvir. But in the end, they didn't want Lapid as prime minister, they disliked Gantz, and they didn't feel that Shaked had a chance of passing the threshold, and they, they were right, she, she was way off. And so suddenly what you get are these right-wing territorial hawks who in the past had a choice between a more liberal-minded Naftali Bennett and a more conservatively-minded Bethel Smotrich, and, and therefore voted for Bennett. But when they didn't have a choice, they just voted for Smotrich. I mean, ultimately the values that uh, trumped any other were the fact that, this, that they were religious and so was Smotrich and they were right wing, so is Smotrich. And that was in some ways enough for them, for them to vote for him. Um, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the Amina voters I spoke to said they felt politically homeless, um, maybe didn't want to vote for religious Zionism, but a lot of them simply did because there was a lack, there was a lack of alternatives. Didn't want Lapid, didn't want Gantz, Shaked wasn't going to pass. They liked voting for religious parties. They didn't want to vote for Likud. And so, in, you know, there, there obviously were people, and maybe we'll touch on this as to why, there obviously were people who were perfectly happy to vote for Smotrich and Ben Gvir for what they represented or what they are perceived to represent. There was another large chunk of people who, who felt who were right wing and felt politically homeless and felt that, that was really the only option and, and basically went holding their nose. One of the other things you do, uh, Caleb, in the article, which I think is crucial, is to really drill down into relating these election results to the, the revolutionary for some of the, the fateful decision uh, taken by former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, informing the so-called change government in the summer of 2021. Um, perhaps we could explore a little why that coalition was so groundbreaking and why perhaps it was too groundbreaking for some for some voters. 
I think that I think the way you phrased it is is spot on, Jack. So Bennett ends up um, being prime minister of of a government that really spans almost the whole range of the political spectrum. There, there are annexationists supporting right wingers. There are centrists. There are kind of anti-occupation left wingers. And there's an Arab party, an Islamist Arab party, uh, led by led by Mansour Abbas. And I think you're right to say that it, it was revolutionary. And I think in many ways, Bennett never. I think we shouldn't be surprised that not everyone gets on board revolutionary politics, because by their nature, they, they, they are they are something else. But I think. Bennett never really brings everyone, his voters, on board with his move. I think he is, he feels that it's, it's the best thing to do. Let's be honest, he doesn't even succeed in bringing on board all of, all of the members of Knesset of Yamina. But there are a large number of his voters who don't really understand what he's doing. Again, the fact that there weren't numbers for a full right-wing government is, I guess, for some irrelevant. Um, or maybe some want to kind of redo the narrative and pretend there was some sort of right-wing option. But I think that the inclusion of partially members of the left, Labour and Meretz, but specifically members of, of an Arab party was, was groundbreaking. It was revolutionary. And I think it was difficult for, for certainly some voters to absorb. And what I think made it even harder for some voters to, to absorb was it came just after, certainly in, in, over the last 20 years, the most tense and violent Jewish-Arab tension and riots that happened in May 2021 in mixed cities, so in Akko, in Lod, in Ramla, in other places. And I think there are, there are probably two parallel trends going on uh, amongst Arab society in Israel. One is very much towards integration. And one is more towards more kind of national Palestinian nationalism. And what we saw in May 2021 was very much the latter. What Mansour Abbas represents is very much the former. And I think that the 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 Mansour Abbas joining a coalition so soon after many people had felt literal fear for their lives from rioting was just a bit too much. For people, and even though that went on, that went on under the Netanyahu government. That, that wasn't a product of the Bennett Lapid government. But I think Bennett lost a lot of his votes, uh, a lot of his voters, a lot of his base when that happened. In fact, something else that someone said to me, which I thought was very interesting, is that when Bennett, having been prime minister for a year and a half, said that he was standing down and he wasn't going to stand in the next election, polls gave him around eight to nine seats, which is which is pretty decent going. So what someone said to me was those eight to nine seats, that's not his base. Those are other people. His base was lost. And his base, I think, was, was, was partially lost because of this revolutionary move. It made people feel uncomfortable. Now, again, it didn't help that Netanyahu and Smotrich were saying that it was treacherous and they were spreading lies about the amount of money that Mansour Abbas and his party were getting. And they were calling them terror supporters. All of that didn't help uh, convince people that this was the right move. But I also think that, that, that Bennett didn't succeed in bringing people over. But again, it was revolutionary. And it takes time for people to be brought around to revolutionary politics, especially if 
by nature, they're probably conservative. Absolutely. I mean, it strikes me then that, that although the anti-Netanyahu bloc sought to sought to you know, make these elections a referendum on the suitability of, of Netanyahu for high office, for many right-wing voters, it was actually a referendum on the on the previous government. Um, how did Netanyahu tactically approach his, his year in opposition? How did he choose to, to attack the government in that time? Well, he wrote a book, which is, which is, which is one way how, that he spent his time. I think Netanyahu really, really pushed hard on this idea that there were terrorist supporters within the government. I, I mean, one of the reasons that the government ultimately fell is the, the opposition, as in the right-wing opposition's refusal to pass this emergency ordinance, which, which gets renewed almost automatically every five years, that relates to uh, the residents of, of the settlements, the Jewish residents um, of the settlements in the West Bank. And, um, and, and in some ways that, that brought down the government. And what was interesting for me is that seemingly Netanyahu and Smotrich did not pay a price amongst right-wing voters for seemingly very, in inverted commas, anti-right-wing policies. But Netanyahu, I mean, didn't, didn't give one moment's rest to the opposition, but I think ultimately, sorry, to the, to the, to the coalition, to the government, I think ultimately the government falls apart. It begins fraying at the edges. As in, the, let, let's be honest, for the centrists, it wasn't really such a compromise. For the more ideological right and left wingers, sitting with people who, who very much had a different uh, approach to how Israel should look, was a real compromise. And so as time goes on, the right wing edges of the coalition in the form of Yamina and the left wing edges in the form of, of the Arab party Ra'am and, and some parts of Meretz begin to lose faith in, in, in the opposition. And we should add that the, the other Arab party, um, the, the joint list, Hadash, Talin, and Balad, also do not have an interest in the continued survival of the government because they don't want Mansour Abbas to, 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 to get all the coupons, to get all, the, all of the credit. And so I think in some ways, you know, Netanyahu is pushing very hard, but after a certain amount of time, there, there's just, I, I think that, I think Lapid and Bennett's aim was we, 70% of Israelis agree on 70% of the issues. And so we're going to have a government that focuses on those 70% on COVID, on the economy, on passing a budget, et cetera, et cetera. But every now and then, that other 30% gets in the way. The Palestinian issue doesn't disappear. There's tension over the Temple Mount. There's all sorts of things that, that in some ways, you, you do have the Netanyahu pressure. You've got the events. And you've got you've got inside the coalition people beginning to, to, to fray at the edges. So I think all of those things ultimately bring down the government. And I would, I would agree, Jack, I think for, for many, the, the election was a referendum on the government, which is I think why the people who, who believed in the government and believed in the vision of trying to get many people together who, who disagree to all sit together, why the election results were so disappointing. I think in many ways it represents for good or for bad, a, a return to a kind of more tribal uh, voting. Thanks, Kale. There's, there's a couple of points I'd, I'd want to pick on, up on from what you've just said. But the first one um, 
is particularly well, well kind of represented in some of the, the fascinating in quotes you get from, from some of your interview subjects. And it's about how kind of weaponized uh, the term left wing has, has become in Israel. Anyone connected with that previous government seems to have been successfully tagged with it, even if their their kind of record is 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 solidly solidly right wing. It seems to have become a real sort of identitarian marker in Israeli politics, and and that certainly came through with some of your some of your interview subjects. So I think that I mean leftism leftism has been a curse word in Israeli society, unfortunately, for, for a while, but. What I think is fascinating, which, which you're right, does come out in, in some of these interviews, is how, how easy in some ways it is to tar people. I mean, Netanyahu has been doing this for a very, very long time. He's been doing it very successfully. But people like Bennett and certainly someone like Gidon Saar, I would say they are always, always worried about saying the word objectively, but they are, they are certainly arguably more right-wing than Netanyahu. Netanyahu voted for disengagement. He, he tries to pretend now that he didn't, but he did. Saar was always opposed to it. Uh, Aaron Barak, the former Supreme Court Justice, said that Netanyahu was one of the greatest defenders of, of the Supreme Court. Saar and Bennett, uh, in different ways, very much pushed for judicial reform. So these are people, someone like Moshe Ya'alon, former chief of staff, and was right wing when he was chief of staff as well. All of these people have very, very strong right wing credentials. Yet when they cross the aisle, and I think this was one of the, this is one of the quotes, the moment Sa'ar crosses the aisle, again, he's very, very popular Likud MK. The moment he becomes anti-Netanyahu, he loses those right wing credentials and he becomes tarred as a leftist. Um, Bennett sits with Labour merits, then it also becomes tarred as, as a leftist. And yeah, it, it really was, it, it was fascinating to hear that sort of thing. He, he gets, Saar gets welcomed by the media. So that also makes him a leftist. And, and I think one of Netanyahu's great successes is managing to, to maintain this idea that anyone who, anyone who becomes Lieberman as well, by the way, also no, no, uh, Kind of big peacenik, Lieberman also gets 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 tarred as, as being a leftist. And I think that's one of Netanyahu's big successes. Um, but then I actually I, I end the essay with this idea that by framing the election as Netanyahu yes or no, in some ways it forced right wingers to choose, or, or, you know, or, or, or liberal right wingers or soft right wingers. They had to choose between their their liberalism. Uh, which would which would move them in, into the anti-Netanyahu camp, or their right-wingism, which would put them in the Netanyahu camp, and ultimately most people ended up st sticking with their right-wingism. Um, so I think I think again some of the reason why the people move between the blocks is just because they feel politically homeless and they don't think about it that much. They think okay, well my top two issues are kind of I don't know, judicial reform or um, Jewish building in Area C, or and not counting, not countenancing any withdrawal from the West Bank, and therefore I, I vote right wing. Last time it was Bennett, this time it's Smotrich. I don't need to think too much too much about it. But other people genuinely feel that that because they're right wing, they need to stand with Netanyahu. And I think um, we can argue about to what extent that's a victory for Netanyahu, to what extent it was it was bad framing from the opposition. But it was fascinating to hear people say, listen, you know. 
Saar was welcomed by the media. He stood against Netanyahu. So from my perspective, he's now, he's now on the left. Some of the uh, some of your interview interview subjects seem to uh, validate that that kind of uh, designation of uh, of Bennett as having tur turned left, and they they pointed, for example, to Bennett's use of the term <coughs> the term West Bank, um, which he made publicly, symbolising something far wider. Perhaps you could just discuss that that particular choice of Bennett's for a moment, and and I know that it it was it. It wasn't something that necessarily had struck you immediately at the time, but but you've come to see great significance in. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really good point. So there are obviously many ways to to refer to the territory that Israel liberated or occupied or captured in in the nineteen sixty seven war. We could call it Palestine. We could call it occupied Palestinian territory. Or we could call it disputed. We could call it uh, the West Bank. We could call it Judea and Samaria. And each of those references in some ways reflects a certain political position. Generally, um, when speaking to people outside Israel, most Israeli politicians, certainly on the center or the left, just talk about talk about the West Bank. That is something that, that a term that Bennett used, but, but for right-wingers, this area is very much Judea and Samaria. And I, I remember when Bennett used the term West Bank, I, 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 I also remember very clearly thinking absolutely nothing of it. Three separate people in, in these interviews, all unbidden, all raised the same point. They said, Bennett said the word West Bank. This is a former spokesman of the Yesha Council, so, so the, the, the communities of Judea and Samaria. And for someone like that to use this phrase, they said, that showed he had changed. Now, I don't know, I mean, the, these are perceptions, but three different people mentioned them. I don't know if it, it, it showed that Bennett had changed or it symbolized Bennett's movement, movement away from where they felt they were. And so it's difficult to know uh, exactly how that affected people, but I think it played into the already existing impression that the Bennett of the elections in March, 2021 is not the same Bennett who becomes prime minister. And so I think for those people who had voted for him because he represented certain things, felt that he had moved away from his base and that that phrase, which again, to me, I didn't think a huge amount of it, um, was indicative of that move. Um, the people felt that ultimately, people in Bennett's base felt that he'd moved away and, and he, lost his, he, he lost his MKs and he lost his base. Just to return again to the to the crucial factor of the of the events of May 2021 and the civil unrest, um, in areas where that unrest was particularly acute, we we do see some some interesting polarizations um, in these late in these latest elections. In terms of the Arab-Israeli vote, that they're, they're they're reflective of 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 the of the polarization you talked about, which is on the one hand, Mansour Abbas actually had a rather good election this, this time, and, and that represents a significant Arab-Israeli endorsement of his kind of inclusionist approach. But on the other hand, in those, in those mixed cities where, where violence was most acute, we see, we see significant support for the more Palestinian nationalist, Balad party, for example. Um, 
what do we see in terms of the Jewish-Israeli votes in, in those areas where, where the violence is most acute? That, that's, that's a great question, Jack. So I think when, when I was putting this together, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular Israeli, I, I want to try and understand what happened in the, in the election. And I think there was, there was one narrative, which was the reason that, that the Likud kind of block wins is because they're more organized. Um, Netanyahu pushes two of the right-wing parties together to merge. He makes sure that the ultra-Orthodox are running together. He makes sure there's very, very few um, right-wing votes that are going to go to waste, in inverted commas. And the, the, the I don't want to even call it a Lapid coalition, but, but on, on, on the anti-Netanyahu um, parties, that simply doesn't happen. The Arab parties run separately. Merits and Labour refuse to merge. And so I think one narrative of, of why the right-wing win is, is a technical one. If you actually look at the numbers of votes for and against Netanyahu, they're not that dissimilar, but they're, they're, they're more organized. That's one narrative. A second narrative, which I tried to focus on in, in the essay, is just what happens to the anti-Netanyahu right wing? Where, where do they go? Um, but the other narrative is something that you've touched on now, which is, which is the rise of religious Zionism not, not being connected to Yamina in any sense, but actually being a, a, a response to the riots that take place in May 2021. And you've mentioned how in these mixed cities, the, um, the more radical Arab party gets more votes 18 months later or 15 months later. But, but if, you look, if, you look at, if you look at the Jewish vote, so Likud comes in first actually in both, uh, both rounds of elections, both in, in, in March 2021 and in November 2022. But in March 2021, in second place, is Yisrael Beitenu in, in, in many of these, or certainly in, in, in Lod, where I looked, which is a, a right-wing, territorially hawkish party that is anti-Netanyahu, but 18 months on, after the riots, it becomes religious Zionism. It becomes Smotrich and Ben Gvir, uh, who are territorially hawkish and pro-Netanyahu. And so in some ways, what we see in these mixed cities is a radicalization both of Jewish residents, citizens, and Arab resident citizens. And I think that's very significant. I think when we look at why so many people voted for Smotrich and Ben Gvir, again, one of the reasons is some people felt politically homeless, for all the things we've talked about in terms of Yamina disappearing, but the riots are a, a probably the most significant reason why religious Zionism do so well. The feeling that the lack of governance, again, in brackets, this was under a Netanyahu government, lest we forget, but the lack of governance, the feeling of domestic security being under threat, just a, a bit of a tangent, but, Smotrich and Bengvir on the one hand and Benny Gantz on the other both put out a uh, campaign video which relates to security. It's very, very interesting. So the Gantz video shows what are the security threats facing Israel. We've got Hamas in Gaza. We've got Hezbollah in the north. We've got Iran trying to go nuclear. And then it, it says, based on these threats, we need someone who is experienced, who's been there. You see Gantz as a young soldier. You see Gantz as, uh, as he is today. You see him meeting with Biden. You know, we need someone with, with security experience. That's one campaign ad. And it's focused on the external threats to Israel, if you like, Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah, and Iran. The Smotrich Ben Gvir security campaign is, is 
focused on Molotov cocktails being thrown, stabbings, and a lack of governance in the South. They call it the Wild South. And then they say, vote for us and we will solve it. We'll create a, a, a fully right-wing government that will deal with this. I don't know how influential campaign ads are. There's different, they're, they're both security ads and they're both focused in different ways, but it would seem that what really bothered Israeli voters in terms of security in many places was not Iran, was not Iran going nuclear. It was the, it was the local violence or, or threat of violence from their neighbors um, that led them to be extremely frightened and scared. That pushed them towards a party that promised to, to solve it. And what many of them relate back to were the May 2021 riots. And we also, we see it in the data as well. Thank you, Caleb. My, my last question uh, relates really to, I suppose, the future of, of national religious, religious politics in Israel. It's the great unknowable at the moment, but I'm struck by, I was particularly struck by one of the quotes from your, from your interviewees, uh, which said that the main issue for many Bennett and Shaked supporters in March 2021 was to challenge Netanyahu from the right. When they had that choice between Bennett and Smotrich, they went with Bennett primarily because they were more liberally minded. Now, when Yamina disappears from the field, those voters, as you've shown, tended to go to move to, move to religious Zionism. So I suppose my question is, is whether, whether that we can see, we, 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 we are likely to see those voters return to a more Bennett Shaked style of, of national religious politics, if and when one emerges. You know, hawkish, but with some some elements of kind of social liberalism, or if, as others have suggested, the Bennett Sheked era of national religious politics is over. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a great question, and I don't know what you do in your spare time, Jack. But sometimes in my spare time, I, I watch old campaign videos, and I was watching some campaign videos from from two thousand and nineteen. Granted, it wasn't even that long ago. And some of the, the, uh, some of the adverts from Bennett and Shaked, when I say they, they're good, it's not in a judgment, it's not in a politically judgmental way. They're very sophisticated adverts. I mean, in brackets, Bennett and Shaked don't pass the threshold in that election, but they're very sophisticated adverts. One is about um, Bennett and Shaked singing about um, Bagat, which is the Supreme Court and the IDF, the army, and it's as if they're a couple, a romantic couple, they need to break up because the Supreme Court is tying the hands of the IDF. One is quite a famous one. It's, it's Shaked talking about a, um, a perfume, which is called fascism. And she talks about judicial restraint and activist restraint and all of this stuff. And then it ends with her saying, to me, it smells like democracy. There's another one with Bennett talking about how to make peace. My point is, Bennett and Shaked are classic right-wingers, and so are their voters. And those voters who voted for Yamina in, in, in May 2021 did not vote for Yamina because they thought that Bennett was gonna become prime minister and bring Mansour Abbas into the government. That's how it happened to, to occur, but that wasn't the reason why they were voting for them. Again, it was a revolutionary move that didn't necessarily bring all of these conservative people with, didn't bring a lot of them with. with. Um, 
But I do think that Bennett, Shaquet to a certain extent, Bennett and Smotrich do represent different components of religious Zionism, whether that's to do with their views on uh, LGBT, uh, whether that's to do with their views on secular and non-Orthodox streams of Judaism, whether it's, it relates to their views on uh, left-wingers. Bennett and Smotrich are in very, very different places. Um, and there are other, there was an essay I wrote um, a year and a half ago about Naftali Bennett and, and, the, and the national religious community. And I said that in, in the cabinet photo, there's actually four or five people wearing uh, kippot, yarmulkes, skull caps. They're, they're part of the religious Zionist community. One's a member of Yeshatid. One is a member of Gantz's party. One is a member of Gidon Saar's party. Two are a member of Bennett's party. As in religious Zionism and, and its voters do vote, do vote for different parties. Um, but I would agree that in the last election, the vast majority, certainly of territorially hawkish voters, ended up voting for Smotrich and Ben Gvir. Might things change? Well, I th I, there, there's an emerging government that, it, that is being formed. And as, as we talked about, often elections are a referendum on the previous government. When the next elections happen, and who knows when that will be, I think in many ways it will be a referendum of this Likud, Smotrich, Ben Gvir, ultra-Orthodox coalition. Um, and it will be interesting to see where the religious Zionist votes ultimately end up. It, it will be interesting to see whether they consider to they 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 continue to consider themselves politically homeless or, or whether there's someone who does represent them. So I guess it remains to be seen. But but they're, they're, despite despite how people voted, we do know that within this public there are different models of of how to live um, and and values. And I guess it, it remains to be seen whether there will be someone who similar to Bennett will come along that will cause people to feel that they represent them. Thank you, Caleb. There's no doubt that the national religious voter not only had a great say in determining the next Israeli government, but will likely continue to do so in future. I'm sure our listeners will watch this with great interest and be grateful to your analysis for shedding a crucial light on what motivates these voters. Thank you very much for a fascinating discussion, Caleb. Thanks, Jack.